Exodus 24. Some of you might have been wondering, well, what are we going to do with Exodus if we're not coming on Sunday nights anymore? Well, we're going to start doing Exodus on Wednesday nights. We're only about halfway through, so we want to try to finish it up. Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you tonight and I thank you that we can get into your word, dear Lord, and I pray that you help us to see the significance of what we're, what we're about to read tonight, dear Lord, as we read about your covenant with your people Israel, dear Lord, help us to see that that was pointing us to Jesus in a much greater way, in a much better covenant, dear Lord, that he would fulfill uh, completely for us, dear Lord God. So I pray that as we read your word, anytime we read the Old Testament, that we understand, God, what was going on for your people then, but that we understand, God, how it applies to us today. And so, God, I pray that you just would be glorified in this place. I pray that you would help us to grow in your word, help us to learn, dear Lord. Be with me as I preach and teach, and let the Holy Spirit touch our hearts and minds tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. All right, at the end of uh, through chapter 23, from about chapters 20 through 23, uh, we saw God give the Ten Commandments to the people, and then God gave some other uh, commandments to the people, and God was making a covenant with them. He was telling them some things that they needed to do and some things that they needed not do. At the end of chapter 23, God gave the people of Israel some promises and some warnings. Uh, what we see in these verses is what we call the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, this was the covenant that God made uh, through Moses for the people of Israel. Now, this was a little different than the Abrahamic covenant. If you've read Genesis, you would have seen that God had made a covenant with Abraham and told Abraham he was going to uh, bless Abraham's descendants and everybody would be blessed through Abraham. Uh, one difference between those two covenants is that the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. That is, there were, there were no conditions that were placed on that. God said, I'm going to do this through you. It wasn't dependent on, on what Abraham did. God was going to be faithful to fulfill that. Now, Abraham was, uh, did have faith in the Lord, and it was credited to him for righteousness. As God is speaking to the people of Israel here through these commands that he has given them uh, in Exodus 20 through 23, and we see even more so expounded upon through the rest of the, of the first few books of the Bible, God gives them many instructions, uh, but this was a conditional covenant, the Mosaic covenant. That is that there were conditions. The Israelites would be blessed. God would take care of them if they were obedient to him and followed his commands and followed what he had set before them. But if they didn't, they were going to suffer the consequences. That's what we saw at the end of chapter 23. That if they turned away from God and began to worship other gods, uh, then it was going to cause problems for them. If you read on further, as we will in Exodus and in the other early books of the Bible, you will see that the very things that God talked about all through the Old Testament proved to be true. When God's people were faithful to him and they would come to him and they would seek him and they would walk according to his statutes and what he had commanded, things would go well. When they would begin to be disobedient and begin to, uh, to do things that they shouldn't do, things would get difficult for the people of Israel. That's why they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they weren't uh, being obedient to what God had told them. And that's what we see uh, here in 
uh, Exodus 24, God making this covenant with them. God had told them uh, the things in the previous three chapters that we had looked at, what was required, at least uh, to some level, although we see much greater detail in other passages. And here in uh, chapter 24, he's establishing this covenant between Moses and the people of Israel and God. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, this is the Lord speaking here. Then he said to Moses, go up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and bow in worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord, but the others are not to approach, and the people are not to go up with him. So we've seen in the chapters previous that there was a lot of going up and down the mountain as Moses would go and speak with the Lord. If you remember back a few chapters ago, there was a barrier that was to be placed around the mountain, and no one was to go across that barrier. And the people didn't want to go across that barrier. If you remember, they told Moses, you, you talk between us and God. We don't, we don't want to be part of this. You do the speaking for us. We'll, we'll do whatever you say. And they, they, they stayed behind those barriers. Now Moses is to go back up before the Lord, and there is a small group that is supposed to go back up with him, but they're not going all the way. They're allowed to go a little further, but they are not allowed to go and be in the presence of the Lord in the same way that Moses is going to be. In verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Now this is important. Moses relayed to them the message. They heard the message and they agreed to enter into this covenant. Whatever God has commanded, we will do. So they were entering into this covenant of the Lord. God had laid out for them. He had given them the instructions and the commands of how they needed to live and what they needed to do and things that they didn't need to do. And as a result of that, Moses came down told these things to the people, and the people said, we will do whatever God commands. Now, what we will see here pretty quickly in the next few chapters is that the people were really quick to turn from uh, their, uh, their obedience here when they said they would do everything that the Lord commanded. Now, this is important. They had to hear what the Lord said. They had to hear the word of the Lord before they could follow the word of the Lord. I couldn't help but think about Romans 10, 14, where it says, look, they need to hear, but how can they hear unless someone goes out to preach? The same is true in our world today. Not that we are like Moses and that we hear a direct word from God by going up on a mountain, but we do have God's word written to us here in the Bible like we are reading tonight. And just as Moses brought the word to the people so that they could enter into that covenant relationship with the Lord, so we too as Christians, we bring the word of God to people that they can hear that word and that they can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they can't hear the word if no one is there to tell them the word, if we're not there to give them scripture, if we're not there to speak God's word into their life. Now that's not to say that God can't act miraculously, and I believe he does, and that the Holy Spirit can interact with people even if, even if uh, uh, nobody goes and takes a Bible, but that's a whole other discussion for a different time. In verse 4, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Isn't that good that Moses wrote these things down? It's beautiful for us that we have 
God's Word. Now, he wrote down these commands that God had given him, uh, but we have what we call the Bible, which is many of God's words uh, that were either spoken directly by God or that were inspired by the Holy Spirit as these writers wrote the Word and praised the Lord just as Moses wrote down the Word, so did people that came after him. And because of that, we have God's Word to study today. It's important that we have God's Word because we, if you're like me, you probably don't remember stuff as good as you wish you could. You might have read it a bunch of times, but it doesn't stick. You may have to find yourself uh, going back and trying to find that verse again. We were doing that just before church started. We knew it was in there, or, or the ones that were looking for it knew it was in there, and they couldn't find it, and so collectively we found it, and praise the Lord, we had it written down where we could go back and read it. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Now, if you remember back in the end of Exodus chapter 20, God gave some instructions there about building altars so that they could offer these offerings and sacrifices to him. And now that he's completed uh, this giving of, of these commands, uh, they are following through and they are going to give these offerings and these sacrifices uh, to the Lord. In verse 6, Moses took half the blood and set it in basins, and the, the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, We will do and obey everything the Lord has commanded. Now this is kind of a repeat of what they said earlier. Moses had told them, they said, We're going to do it. Whatever God has said, we are going to do it. And they probably had all right intentions. After all, they had seen God do wonderful, powerful things, and they probably had every intention of following the Lord. Some of us may can relate to that. There are probably times where we say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm not going to do wrong. I'm not going to slip into that sin again. And then lo and behold, we may be similar to the Israelites and that we find ourselves doing something that we said we weren't going to do. Praise the Lord for our forgiveness. Here the Israelites are saying, look, we are going to follow God's commands. We are going to do exactly uh, what he has said. In verse 8, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant and the Lord has, that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of Israel's elders, and they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire stone, as clear as the sky itself. God did not harm the Israelite nobles, they saw him, and they ate and drank. Now, that's kind of an interesting passage, at least to me, to kind of be stuck in the middle there. These that went mo with Moses were able to see God, and they were able to see this, this sapphire stone of pavement that was there. Now, I believe that this is probably uh, some type of vision that they were able to see. They were able to see God in some form, not in his real form. Uh, we see in the scripture that it says no one is able to see God, but God did reveal himself uh, in some way that they could look upon him, that they could see that it was the Lord. And we see this imagery, this, this, this pavement of sapphire there, uh, which may be reminiscent of some of the symbolic language that we see in Ezekiel uh, and Revelation. And so God revealed himself to these 
people in some way that they could see and know for sure uh, that it really was the Lord. It says in verse 11 that God did not harm uh, the, the, the Israelites there. Uh, some translations say that God's hand was not upon them. Now there's a couple of, of, of different ways to interpret that. Obviously the translators of my translation uh, says that he didn't bring harm to them. That is, he allowed them to see him without being to destroyed. He allowed them to see him in some form without having to be destroyed. Uh, some translations say that he didn't put a hand on them. Now, some would say that he didn't put a hand on them as to bless them, or some would say that he didn't put a hand on them as to hurt them. That's kind of up uh, for interpretation there, so you can uh, read through it and kind of decide for yourself what uh, you think. But I believe, based on uh, the context and other scriptures, that it's probably saying there that God did not bring harm to them, that they were able to see God in this form and know it was him, uh, but weren't able, uh, but weren't suffering the consequences of being destroyed for uh, seeing the Lord. And then it says that they saw him and they ate and drank. Now, isn't that interesting? That's kind of an interesting thing to put in there. I'm not really sure exactly how to take that. But I'll tell you how I took it as I read through the text. That they uh, were sitting there, and what a beautiful scene that probably was for these people of Israel and Moses. And they were sitting there, and they were eating and drinking with the Lord. And I could not help but think about uh, the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples as they were there eating and drinking with the Lord. If you remember back a few verses earlier, uh, where we just read in verse 8, it says, Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Uh, I can't help but think of Jesus Christ when I read that. As God is making this old covenant with them, this Mosaic covenant, this covenant is made by the sprinkling of blood. The people are covered with the blood of the sacrifice as this covenant is being sealed and made between the people of Israel and God. And I can't help but believe that that is a foreshadowing, a pointing forward of us to Jesus Christ. That we too are covered by the blood of the sacrifice. Not of goats and bulls, but of Jesus Christ, the very Lamb of God. He goes on to say, Moses does, in the next, in the next few words here in verse 8, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Again, this, this statement here is very similar to the statement that Jesus made with the apostles as he's having the Last Supper with them. Uh, this is the blood of the new covenant, he said, that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins for, for many. And so I can't help but believe that these verses are pointing us to the better sacrifice, the better covenant, the new covenant that was going to come through Jesus Christ. Perhaps the verse that talks that they were eating and drinking with the Lord was showing some fellowship, that God was willing to fellowship with sinners. That's one view that people would take. And I believe, as I read these verses, that they are ultimately pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. Now, we read these verses about the Israelites, and we see the covenant that God uh, made with them, but it was a covenant that was never going to be good enough. It was a covenant that commanded many things of them that they were not able to fulfill. It was a law that placed a high standard on them, a perfect standard on them, that they would never be able to fulfill on their own. It's not that there was anything wrong with the law. The law was perfect. It was a perfect law given by a perfect God. But the people who were trying to fulfill it are imperfect sinners. And so there was a problem there. God gave a perfect law, but we were never able to fulfill that. 
And while the covenant was made with blood, and while that covenant was good for a while, we see in Galatians and other New Testament books that that old covenant was only there for a little while. It was pointing us forward to something better. And when Jesus Christ comes, He fulfills what is better. He is the sacrifice that was slain on our behalf. It is His blood that covers us. It is a new covenant that is made with us and Jesus Christ when we come to Him, and He is the new covenant, and His blood is poured out on our behalf. So when we read about Israel, let us point, be pointed forward to Jesus Christ because I believe that's what all of these Old Testament uh, verses and books point us to. They are all pointing us to something better. The Old Covenant was good for a while, but it was never perfect. But Jesus Christ was. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these words. We thank you for the beautiful imagery uh, that we see of you uh, being here for your people, dear Lord, to make a covenant with them, to bless them, dear Lord, to take care of them, God. And I pray that you would help us to see that you do that in a much greater way through Jesus Christ, in a much more perfect way, dear Lord. That we don't have to go and have blood sprinkled on us by an animal, dear Lord, but we are covered by the holy, precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would see that when we read about Jesus in the New Testament and we see what he did for us, dear Lord. We realize that he is that new covenant, that better covenant, that perfect covenant. The only covenant we need, and there's no other covenant to come, dear Lord, because Jesus is sufficient. And so I thank you for that, dear Lord. I thank you for letting us see the, see the end in Jesus Christ. So when we look back to the beginning in this book of Exodus, dear Lord, we see Jesus sprinkled all throughout these Old Testament verses, dear Lord, and know that everything that you wrote and did, God, was pointing us to him. And so let us always keep our focus on Jesus and all that we do. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.